0: All right, church, if you could open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we are currently in a series where we are seeking to discover through God's Word what it means to be in gospel community with one another as the body of Christ. It's an important question. Why has God brought us together? What is our purpose? What is our mission together? And in response to that answer, how should it affect our lives? What does it look like day in, day out to fulfill that purpose and mission that God himself has given us? Over the past few Sundays, we've seen that one of the aspects of gospel community is evangelism. The body of Christ is to go towards the lost in various ways. Sharing the gospel with them, that by God's grace and power, they might be saved and added into the body, just like we have been. This morning, as we study Philippians 2, we're going to learn that another aspect of gospel community is the privilege and responsibility to not just reach out to the lost, but to also reach out to one another in care and love as brothers and sisters in Christ. Going to observe this morning through the first eleven verses of Philippians two that that part of the mission and part of the purpose of the local church is to be united together, and God is going to make very clear that the strength and grace to do this comes from Christ Himself. We're, we're able to love, care for, sacrifice for uh, each other. Because Christ has loved, cared for, and sacrificed for us. Uh, the main truth of this passage this morning is that the body of Christ is to love and care for one another in sweet unity because Christ has loved and cared for each of us through our union with him. So let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 1-11. through 11. This is the perfect word of God. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word, that we would not be unchanged by it, but that we would be affected deeply for our good, for the lost good, and for your glory. Amen. Three points this morning to structure our time. The first is the call for unity. The call for unity. The Apostle Paul is the author of the book of Philippians. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he is deeply desirous that there be unity and love within the body of Christ. In chapter 1, after talking about his love for them, his gratefulness for their partnership in the gospel, in how God was actually using his persecution in the prison to advance the gospel among the soldiers, he begins to focus. His attention, he begins to focus our attention on the call for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to love and care for one another. And while this is, of course, a mindset we should have towards all Christians. May we observe that the context of this section of scripture is in the local church. God has sovereignly placed the Christians in Philippi in this church. And he's calling them to specifically care for one another. And God, in his sovereignty, has placed you and I in this church. And we're called by God to care for one another. Uh, it's, it's right to have a love for other Christians, no matter uh, what church they are a part of. And yet, at the same time, we should feel a unique sense of love, a unique sense of responsibility to those who are a part of the local body that God has placed us in. And Paul speaks about this in verse 27 of chapter 1. Look, just glance up there for a moment with me. It says in verse 27, chapter 1, Only let your manner of life, Let the way you live your life daily, monthly, yearly be in sweet response to the gospel of grace that has come to you. You've been saved. You've been rescued from sin. You've been given eternal life. You are no longer an enemy of the king, but by his grace, God has made you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Live your daily life in joyful worship to God in light of these gospel realities. Pastor and author John MacArthur states it this way, in light of being a Christian, Live like a Christian. Simple enough. In light of being a Christian, live like a Christian. Seek to, to live worthy of the gospel of grace. It doesn't mean earn it. It means respond joyfully in response. And one of the aspects that God's word says that we, plural, do this is by standing together. Firm in one spirit, with one mind, together. I love this phrase, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What a, what a beautifully visual statement. Striving, laboring, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, in both reaching the lost and caring for the saved. That's the call of God to the church in Philippi, and that is the call of God to us in Reading, Pennsylvania. And I think it's super important for us to understand unity as biblically defined is more than simply the absence of arguing and divisiveness. It's more than that. It's more than just we're not at each other's throats. Biblical unity means every member of Christ Community Church having a resolve, a conviction to spiritually care for, love, and build one another up in Christ in response to the gospel of grace. And a question I usually asked as a kid, and I think I still ask now when I read the Bible, is why is this so important? And when God... In the scriptures, repeat something over and over again in a certain amount of verses. I was thinking to myself, man, he is really being redundant. And I know he's being redundant on purpose. He, he's, he wants us to be highlighting something. And I was thinking to myself, why is it so important for us to be united? And the answer is that everyone is blessed. Everyone is blessed when a church loves God, loves his word, loves each other. Literally, everyone is blessed. Think about it with me. I'm just going to rattle off four different ways. So we're under point one still, but four different ways that, that people are blessed when we as a church are loving one another, striving side by side for the gospel. One, God is glorified, right? We were a mess, and look what is happening. There is a group of people that are caring for one another, loving one another, considering others more important than themselves. They're helping each other to heaven. That, that glorifies God because God did that. We're, we're trophies of His grace. Look what He's done. Look at His power. Look at His glory. And so God is glorified, too. It gives evidence of the power of the gospel. You would not have done that before. You wouldn't have that heart. You wouldn't have that desire to think of others. So, so it, it, it gives evidence of, of the power of the gospel. Three, it, it brings spiritual health to the church because we will be helping each other to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. You know, church, it can't just be the pastors caring for the body of Christ. We all must be caring for one another. So we will grow in health as we're caring for one another, as we give each other a word in due season, as we pray for one another. So God is glorified. He gives evidence of the power of the gospel. It brings spiritual health to us. And it's a light to the world. It shows them something that they don't see anywhere else. Everyone is blessed. When we pursue unity together, everyone is blessed when we are loving one another well. The book of Acts is a picture of what happens when the local church moves together in unity. It will cost us. It will cost you to care for one another. And yet the payoff is that the church is well cared for and the gospel advances. If you have time this week, read Acts 4 and you see this is what happens. On the flip side, Paul knows, and many of us know from experience, that where there is not unity in Christ, where there is not unity in loving one another, there's often bad fruit. God is not glorified in people's actions. Christians are hurt and not cared for. The church walking in disunity looks very similar to the world, pushing the lost away instead of attracting them. Our care or lack of care for one another has far-reaching implications. And we all need to take this to the Lord. It's not something, even those as pastors we want to be consistent in our prayer and thinking about this, thinking about how can we grow in this, but it can't just be a burden the pastors have. It's got to be a burden we as a church have. We collectively say, oh God, give us grace to grow in loving each other well. And we see in verse 1, Paul, and again, ultimately God, grounds this unity in our relationship with God. God grounds this unity In the gospel look at verse four he just fires off these four phrases the first three are in regards to god to you and the fourth is what god's done in light of that relationship and so we see the first is so if there's any encouragement in christ that's the first one encouragement in christ if there is any encouragement in christ this speaks to our union with christ you're a Christian, you and I are united to Christ. When the Father sees you, he sees Christ. And that's a really good thing because that means all of Christ's benefits are yours. His life, his death, his resurrection are yours because you are in Christ. Yeah, there's encouragement in being in Christ. The second, any comfort from love. As we saw in the passage last week, God deeply loves those he saves. He doesn't just tolerate you this morning because you're in Christ. I had like the the picture of uh, a guy going to an event, going to a party, and he's best friends with the guy hosting it. And he says, hey, I brought this guy and the host doesn't like this guy, but well, his best friend brought him. And so, yeah, I I guess he's invited too. That's not the father in you. The Father doesn't tolerate you just because you're with Christ. We need to think about this. We're united to Christ because of God's love. It that's not semantics. That's not just kind of wordplay. We are united to Christ. Christ came because of God's love. God saved you because he first loved you. And when he saves you and he reconciles you to himself through Christ, he adopts us as sons and daughters. And we see an expression of this in Zephaniah 3.17. If you're a Christian here this morning, you just got to let this wash over you. It says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And then just check this out. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Do you know that's how God looks at you this morning, believer? I love that God is both powerful and loving. He's not one or the other. He's both. He's mighty to save. And then just, boom, turns. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. Is that not just, for me, the imagery of a mom with her child? Just tenderly loving them, caring for them, singing over them. God sings over you this morning, believer. Any comfort and love? Yes, much comfort in love. Third phrase, any participation or fellowship in the Spirit. God does not just save us and then leave us. He, he tells us... Uh, That once he begins that relationship, once we are reconciled to him, he will never leave us. Through the Holy Spirit, God dwells with us. He desires to encourage us, care for us. He goes with us. He never leaves us. God stays closer and cares better than our best friends our best friends are a gift to us, but they cannot get as close as God can. And they don't love as good as God can. Singles, what you have in God this morning is better than any husband or wife. Marriage is a gift. My wife is a gift. She's not better than God. It's not wrong to desire marriage, but you're not going to get something better than what you already have in God. And then the fourth statement is in regards to us and the change that occurs in our salvation. Any affection and sympathy. That's, that's what occurs in the Christian in light of that relationship. We've been given new hearts. And these hearts increasingly love God and they love others. Like Tom said, we still have sin, we still have that flesh, but we've got a new heart. And by the Spirit, because we're no longer enslaved to sin, there is now a heart of compassion flowing and growing, full of tender mercy. And so what Paul's saying here in these phrases is, if you have that, if, if any of you have encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any, um, Any affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What he's saying is, if you have these things, which you do if you're a Christian, then respond by loving one another. Paul's reminding us of the gospel before he tells us what it means to live in light of the gospel. God does this again and again and again in the New Testament. If you start looking for it, you really do see it. It's just there over and over and over again. God doesn't launch first in the commands. He he does tell us this is what it means to be a Christian. He does give us commands as Christians. But it's always on the foundation of the gospel. He wants us to know that our love for the church flows out of his love for us. Just as God has united himself in a relationship to us, we are to enter into gospel relationships with one another. We are called, Christ Community Church, to love each other, to forgive one another, to be patient with one another, to sacrifice for one another, but only as an overflow and in response to how God has loved, cared for, been patient with, and forgiven us. It's important to see the gospel at the foundation of this command. It's it's an act of worship. It's an, it's an act of response. So it's good for us to see this as built on the gospel of grace. And it's also important for us to see that this is a call to unity from our Lord himself. God is the ultimate writer of scripture. And the New Testament is filled with passages that exist to help Christians to understand this is how we are to live in gospel community this is what it means to be together this is how i want you to love each other and treat each other and i say this graciously these aren't suggestions for us to embrace or dismiss we live in a culture of choice and that's not an inherently bad thing but we live in a culture of choice and so it's tempting then to see the new testament as a a book of choices tempting when it comes to our participation in the body to think that god is is throwing out options for us. But what he's not doing here is giving you options. He's saying, this is what I want my body that I've formed, that I've created by the blood of Christ to look like. This is, the one, this is how I want you to live. This is how I want you to treat each other. We can't look at it and, and, and think that he's saying, well, church, you know, If you want to be involved in the body of Christ, if you want to participate in gospel community, if you want to help one another, that'd be great. But, you know, if you're too busy and other things are more important, that's fine too. It's not what he's saying here. God is gracious, so gracious. He is loving and patient with his children. But passages like Philippians 2 are commands for us to apply. Jesus in love led the original disciples, teaching and instructing them. And through his word and spirit, he continues to teach and instruct his disciples in 2016. That's what his word is. Through The word and the spirit, God is leading us. He's instructing us. What it means to live life together, to be on mission with purpose. And again, I I say it graciously, but I want to be faithful to put the word in front of you. This passage, verses 1 and 2 of Philippians 2, it it blows the lid off the argument that you can love God but not his church. I, I don't even sometimes know how that can be something a Christian can discuss and think is possible. That you can be doing well with the Lord, but desire to have nothing to do with his body. The passage in rooting verse 2 to verse 1 is actually teaching us the opposite. Evidence of genuine salvation is rooted in your love and care for the body of Christ. Evidence of genuine salvation is rooted in your love and care for the body of Christ. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying you're saved by your love for the church. What I'm saying is that your love for the body of Christ gives evidence that Christ has saved you by his grace. If you've been loved and saved and rescued and adopted by God, if you as a Christian have been given the Holy Spirit, which every Christian has been given, then you will increasingly love and live for what God loves. And we all need to grow in this. I need to grow in my love for you. I need to to grow my love, to to sacrifice for you, to serve you. But there should be something in a Christian's heart, in their mind, in their soul of, I love the body of Christ. I want to care well for them. I want to play my part in encouraging them and praying for them. As a Christian, being committed to the body of Christ, it's not an optional decision. It's a gospel command to be obeyed. As a church, we're called to be pursuing the same mind and having the same love and being of one accord. To be of the same mind. What does that mean? Okay, We're called to be of the same mind as Christ Community Church. What does that mean? It means that we are to be increasingly united in our knowledge of of what God says about himself and about us and about the gospel and about this world. We're to be united in our mission. United in our purpose that doesn't mean we don't ever have different opinions that doesn't mean we don't have conversations about different things but we're all saying this is the goal this is what Christ wants for this church on that thirty thousand foot level this is who God is and we go together it really shows you another reason why being in the word again all of us not just the pastors not just care group leaders it's why all of us are called to be men and women of the Word. Because as we grow in being men and women of the Word, we will grow in our unity. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You, and I've said this before, I have learned more about the, the English language from studying Greek than studying English. And what I learned this week was that it, the you... In the original is second person plural. You know what that means? It means the word is y'all. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. You didn't know that y'all was a Greek word, did you? James Gordon, who's teaching in children's ministry, he knew that it was a a Greek word. He might have been the only one. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. Yes, may you and I as individuals, you know, in our kitchen, I need, I shouldn't say need, but I do, I need coffee before I start the day. Like, even if I have to get Catherine out of the crib, I got to go to the coffee. I sit down, I'm at the table, I'm holding her, or I'm on the sofa and I'm reading as I'm drinking and I'm holding. Yeah, I know that I'm by myself in that moment, but I know that you're in your houses as well. And throughout the day, you're reading the Word as well. And we're growing together even when we're apart. we got to have that mindset. Yes, I want to be with God, but I want to be with God together. Because as we grow in the Word together, we grow in our unity. We grow in our love. We grow in having that same mind. We will enjoy richer fellowship with one another as we're in the word together, because you're going to have a better word for me than just what you think about something, right? If if you ever came up to me and you were asking about something, Ben, what do you think about this? Or I'm struggling with this. And all I had for you was, well, I think, I think, I think, I think you should take what I think and put it in the garbage can, right? But if I can give you the word, and this is what God says, oh man, receive it, and move forward. And that's what I want from you. And that doesn't mean we don't talk about our experience or what we've learned over the years. It doesn't mean that, but but do you have the word for somebody when you're in care group? Is it, oh, you know, I was just reading the other day about this. And it's not that we're all these, you know, biblical scholars and we have it all memorized, but we've got it increasingly. I I remember Tom England now Thirteen years ago, when I first started meeting him, CB would be in Tom's living room. CB would be talking about a verse, and CB would be sharing the verse or the passage, and Tom, under his breath, would be saying the verse to himself. What an example. I just remember thinking, I have no idea what the next word is. I don't even know what the topic is right now. And Tom has memorized the scripture. And recently, by God's grace, over many years, Tom was saying something recently, and I knew it. I was like, I know that verse. I'm being Tom right now. And man, do I want to be like Tom England in many ways. That's us. That's like that's just the overtime, letting the word dwell in you richly. I think when we're in the word, we don't feel like it's, it's having this big impact. And then over the months and over the years, all of a sudden, oh, look at the treasure God's given us. It's not just for us. It's for one another. We also see here having the same love. We're to have the same love. It's, it's simple, isn't it? To, to love each other, it's costly. But to love each other well. Just by God's grace in light of the gospel full of patience full of kindness full of gentleness forbearance because we're a bunch of sinners saved sinners but sinners and I'm going to sin against you and you're going to sin against me and we're going to say this is why God came but say this is why God came when, when someone's imperfect with you giving them what you've received. You know, God has forgiven me of so much. I can love them. I can forgive them. Talking to a brother yesterday, just bitterness, it only hurts you. Right? You think when you're bitter, like you're making someone pay. You're only making yourself pay. When I love, I'm freed of that bitterness. When I love you, no matter how you're treating me, I'm freed from what goes on in here. And I can worship the Lord and give you a tangible expression of the gospel. Same love, and and we do. We do love one another. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be devoted to one another in brotherly affection. You are to treat each other, I'm to treat you, you're to treat me as as brothers and sisters because that's what we are. We're family. The church should be a priority because God calls us to be devoted to one another. And we see there, in full accord, that that is a great phrase. It's, it, it means like united souls. We're, we're individual souls. Aren't we? we have individual relationship with the Lord. And yet, in that 1 Corinthians 12 way, there's many parts. There's one body. We're not to be a fragmented group. We're not to be a group just doing our own thing all over the place. And we'll come together occasionally to socialize, but then we kind of go back to doing our own thing. No, we're called to be together, to be single-minded in our focus, that, that shoulder-to-shoulder. I started watching a show on Netflix called Fixer Upper. You ever seen this show? If you don't, if you don't know, basically, the, this husband and wife uh, help people find homes that need fixed up. And they usually are pretty nasty. and I, I think the audience wants the nastiest one because then the, 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 uh, the, the renovations are that much more spectacular. Uh, but they pick a home and they have the plan and then they do the big reveal. And I, I was thinking about uh, once they pick the home and they're, they're renovating, there's just a beehive of activity. They're just everybody's all over the place. And Of course, in these shows, like the, oh no, the chimney—it wasn't where we thought it was going to be, and so or, you know, it's a three thousand dollar thing or six hundred. You know, there's always some kind of oh no, what's going to happen? Are we going to get it finished on time? Um, but there's just this beehive of activity. And what I love is that you see that not everyone's doing the same thing. Not everyone's the plumber. If there was like a hundred guys doing the plumbing, be great toilets in that house. No roof, right? that everybody is doing maybe different things, but they're all working on one blueprint. It would be chaos if they were all doing different things and all looking, well, this is how I think this house should get built. There'd be like 10 different versions, like based on the room you're in, different versions of what what it was supposed to be. No, they're all doing maybe different things, but there's one purpose, one mind, one blueprint. That's the church. We're not all called to do the same things. But we're all called to have that one mind. This is where we're going. This is what, by God's grace, we're building. This is what we're about. So one, do we even know what that is? Do you know your part? And are you playing it? You know, if the plumber was just sitting in a little chair in the show, a little, little drink, a little umbrella, right, the head guy would be like, what are you doing right now? Ah, I see these other guys. Well, yeah, these other guys, but your part, the part you play. That's the church. We all have a part to play. God gives all of us gifts. They're different gifts, but he gives all of us gifts. And we get to, we get to use them for the glory of God and for the good of the church and the good of the lost. Point number two, the description of unity. Verses three and four help us to understand that unity, that that unity in the body of Christ, it countercultural. It is just, it is different than how all the other people who are unbelievers are living their life and you and I just have to get comfortable that our lives are going to look different than our neighbors. Our lives are going to look different than our coworkers who aren't believers. Because we've been called to something together. And we've been given new hearts. God sets us in a new direction. Look at verses 3 and 4. Do Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Count others more significant than yourself. It's it's a straightforward verse, isn't it? Pride, arrogance, self centeredness, it leads to disunity within the body of Christ. Humility produces unity. Humility produces love. Humility produces care. As John MacArthur, again, succinctly states it, unity is born out of humility. Unity is born out of humility. And that makes sense. If, if we are humble, if Christ Community Church, by the grace of God, would be known as humble, think about it. We just And you guys are doing this. We are doing this, but we need God's grace to continue to do this. Well, we'll think about others. Well, think about their needs, their desires, their trials, their burdens, and how we can be a blessing to them instead of focused only on ourselves. The opposite of humility is is that selfish ambition. And I, I think this is one of the greatest temptations we face in our American culture today. We live in a culture that consistently teaches us it is all about us. We are encouraged to live for whatever makes us happy to live primarily for the fulfillment of our dreams i mean and I, and I feel this i mean it's not just like the culture's problem this is a Ben problem we're singing that last song lord i give my life as an offering and i i know i know i, I never sing these songs just because i'm well, i'm perfect in this area so i can sing it I, I know that i know grace covers me for all of these songs but just my life is an offering on the altar of God. And God, however you want to use my life, whatever that is, you do it. My flesh, my flesh isn't cheering that on. My flesh is, but what about what I want? What about what makes me happy? What about my dreams? That's what we're fighting against. That's where the battle is. I said last week, I think that when God calls us to something the temptation is to think it's going to be easy. And it's just often not. Doing nothing from selfish ambition, choosing to count others more significant than ourselves, we need the grace of God for this. Even as Christians, we can be concerned only with our spiritual health, not considering others, just This will lead you to not share the gospel, right? If it's all about you, it's, well, I'm I'm saved. And I'll pray that God brings someone into their life. I think even with us uh, caring for one another, just the the temptation to think about the cost. What is this going to cost me? The cost of loving others, serving others, sacrificing for others. It's going to cost me. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me investment. It's going to cost me emotionally as I, I... roll up my sleeves and get into their problems. I got my own problems to to step into other people's problems. That's countercultural. Only Only the gospel changes men and women's hearts to want to do that. I think if we were honest, it even tempts us when we think about moving towards the church with different events. Just what am I going to get out of this? How will this benefit me? And that's not wrong to think about how it could benefit you, but it can't be only that. We, we have to have a mindset of, how can I go and be a blessing to others? How can I go and care for others? And, and brothers and sisters, let's not be falsely humble and say, oh, who am I? I couldn't care for anyone. You're a Christian. Yes, you can. Even just praying for someone or encouraging someone or just listening to someone at a meeting could, could totally change their outlook. God wants to use you. He does. And when the devil says, God doesn't want to use you, why why would you think that you could carry it for anybody? That's that's, that's from the devil. That's not the Lord. The Lord uses the body to care for the body. And so when we think about different events, or we just think about caring for the church, we have to, to think outside of ourselves and think, okay, how well, this me going might might it benefit others? And and how in me going might we grow in unity from it? In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking about yourself less. It's not humility is not you going around saying, I'm the worst, I'm the worst, I'm the worst. That's not humility. Humility is just getting your eyes off of yourself and onto God and onto others. It's considering them. It's thinking about them. Sin tells us to be constantly thinking of ourselves. And God says, no, consistently think of others. Verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. And and I want to highlight the word, let each of you. It says, let each. Each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Just like we are all ambassadors of Christ, we are also all called to play our part in caring for the spiritual health of the church. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I found... uh, It's very interesting, and I think really important for us to understand that the word interest in verse 4 is a filler word. What I mean by that is that it's an open-ended word. Basically, here's what it says. Look not only to your own blank, but the blank of others. Look not only to your own something, but to the something of others. And I find that very helpful and very important because what it's saying is, as you think about your Christian life, it gives you the opportunity to stop and ask, okay, I'm thinking about this right now. Whatever this is, what would it look like to consider, consider others as they're walking through the same thing? Let me give a couple examples. These, of course, are not exhaustive. But look not only to your relationship with the Lord, but consider how others are doing in the Lord. That you might encourage them. Look not only to your trials, but consider the trials of others. How might you be able to pray for them and care for them? I feel like Kelly is one of the greatest examples in my life of that. She just consistently prays for you, consistently prays for you by name. I feel like just that heart of God has given her that conviction to not just pray for our family, and boy, do we need it, but to pray for others as well and to be intentional to get time. Like, just I just want to go and pray for that person right now to look not only to your marriage or your parenting or your singleness, but to consider the marriage and parenting or singleness of others. I love that. So that filler word then gives us an opportunity, not just to, okay, it's just this narrow. This is what it looks like to, to, obey this this verse it's it's all of life it's all of life and it doesn't mean that it's wrong to look at your own interest what it says there is just not only your interest of course we should be looking at our lives we should be uh, very proactive in in our relationship with christ and very intentional to go to god and go to his word when it comes to applying it to our lives but but we've been saved and added into the body, and so we get to care for one another as well. So here's the really, really simple, obvious question. What does it look like for you to apply this passage? This is a passage, this is a truth, that should just be constantly in front of me all the time. Uh, Daily, weekly, monthly, just, God, what does it mean to be of one mind and one heart with the church that God you've placed me in? What, What does it mean right now to count others more significant than myself? The world should take notice, right? Like the world should be able to see something different. Your unbelieving friends should be just perplexed by your love for your church. Our children should take notice. I just try to do that, especially as my older two, so we have four, my older two get older, just what do you see as you look at dad? Would you say that Dad loves Christ Community Church? Would you say I was asking them? I asked them last week before the message on evangelism. Would you say that you've seen Dad share the gospel? I don't mean when he gets up on the platform on a Sunday morning or Crossfire. Do you see me engaging our neighbors with the gospel? What do you see? And I'm not going to get condemned over that. I, I want I want their I want their eyes on me. I want to I want to grow and. That's how it was for my mom and dad. There was just no doubt that my parents loved the church. I never had to wonder, do, do my parents love the church that I grew up in? They did. I, and, I, and I could give you numerous reasons. And they love this church. Watching them come early and stay late for summer explosion, they don't have to do that. They don't have any kids in it anymore. So do we have a love for it, and does it impact our lives? And it can be different things. It's not a one-size-fits-all. But do I go to God and say, God, my life's not my own, and you've added me into this body. What does it mean to be devoted to these people? It can be something so small. And yet, those small things added up are glorious. Those small things by themselves are glorious the call to unity and others focus should just it should affect our time our money our calendar our passions point number 3 as we close and oh what a glorious place to close the grounds of our unity the grounds of our unity we we see the gospel at the beginning of this passage we see the gospel at the end of this passage just look at verse 6 <laughs> just It's incredible. This is amazing truth. So verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though, so now we're talking about Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. May we never, ever hear about this Jesus doing this and be unaffected. May we never able to read something like this, but yeah, yeah, Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross. Jesus is and has ever been God. He was in the form of God. That means that both outwardly and inwardly, he's God. He deserves all the glory for being God. And yet, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. What he's saying there, what it's saying there is that God deserved all the glory, all the praise that was coming to him for all eternity in heaven. And he didn't demand it. He didn't say, you will always treat me like this. I will never surrender my glory. He did not count what he deserved as necessary. He did not count it as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant. Now it's important to understand. Emptying himself doesn't mean he became not God or less God. Wherever we see that in the New Testament. It always means to deprive someone or something of its proper place. Jesus came still fully God. But he emptied himself of that glory. He he concealed it. He hid it for a time. He surrendered the glory he was receiving in heaven to be treated on earth in a far, far different way. He took the form of a servant. So Jesus, the one who is fully God, took the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being bound in human form, he humbled himself. Look at all of the action words of Jesus here. He did not count, count equality a thing to be grasped. He he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. It's so important in Scripture to hold the truths together. Did God send Jesus? Did the Father send Jesus because he loves you? Yes. Did Jesus go willingly because Jesus loves you? Yes. It wasn't God loved you. The Father loved you. And, and God the Son said, all right, if I have to. God The son willingly emptied himself. He willingly surrendered. He willingly and obediently became a servant in love for us in love and obedience to God, the father. So that alone is incredible. That God become fully man. That alone is incredible. And yet it doesn't stop there. He dies. The son dies again. That's still incredible, and yet, even death on a cross. Jesus died the death of a criminal because he died your death. You were the criminal on the cross, and he was in your place. That we might be forgiven. If if you've not repented of your sin, if you are in your sin this morning, look at this and allow your eyes to, by the grace of God, to be open. Ask God, open my eyes to see the glory of this God. That God would come to earth to rescue you. What it says in Scripture is that if we repent of our sin and trust in this God-man, we can be saved. He he died on the cross to take our punishment, to take our record of debt. And then in verse 9, He did not stay dead. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so we see two things as we close. One, God calls us to do what he has already been an example of. God has been the greatest example of what he calls you and I to do in being devoted to one another. God is the greatest act, is the greatest example of humility in in his action of coming to earth. Whatever God calls us to in sacrificing for one another, in loving one another, whatever it is for for your life to go up on the altar, it is nothing in comparison to God who was being worshiped forever to come to earth, to be a servant, to die on the cross for sins. So that's not to make you feel bad. That's to say we get to follow in our Savior's footsteps. We get to love one another and serve one another because that is what God has done. God has become a servant for us. He came not to be served, but to serve. And so we see that we're following God. God's not calling you to some hard sacrificial life and and he kind of just stands above it all. Christ entered into it and we follow him as Lord and Savior. Really, in a sense, there is nothing too great. There is no sacrifice that God could ever call us to, too great because of the glory of the gospel and the one we serve. And that second point is that our love for one another, it's an act of worship to God. We we do it because we love one another, but we do it because we love God, and Christ is now highly exalted. And so when I seek to care for you and pray for you and encourage you, I want to do it because I love you, but I'm also thinking about my Lord. My Savior. And we see where all of this is going. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is going to return. He is going to return. And everyone will see him. And everyone's knee will bow. Unbelievers' knees will bow, not in salvation, but in utter fear that he was who he said he was. Our knees will bow joyfully. When I was a kid, I did not want Jesus to return. I want Jesus to return. I cannot wait. I just look up at the sky sometimes. Lord, crack it open right now. I want to see you, and I want to see those thousands of angels that are going to come with you, the great cloud of witnesses that come with you. I want to see it. And my knee is going to bow in joyful worship. I know every Christian in this room, your your knee is going to bow in joyful worship. For those who are not saved, we go, right? We share the gospel. We share the fact that he's coming. I don't want to only think, and this is where I will close. I don't want to only think, when I think about that day, about myself. I do not think only about myself when I think about that day. I think about about you. May we think about one another. I cannot walk out this Christian life on my own. I do not know where I would be without this church. When I think about that day, I want to think about you and your need. And how do we help each other get To heaven, How do we help each other by the grace and spirit of God to link arm in arm and say, I'm praying for you. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you of what you already know. May we as a church, by God's grace, be of one mind and one love, united in Christ, united in the gospel, in light of his grace. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help for this. We need your grace. We need the spirit, Lord. We cannot love each other well in our own strength, Lord. And you have been very gracious to us as a church. You have been very faithful to us as a church, Lord. And we pray, would you continue to give us your grace to be devoted to one another, that, that we would love one another, Lord, that we be men and women of the word together, Lord. As, as we think about our own interests, we would think of the interests of others. Lord, help us to help one another. And Lord, to be reminded of the gospel the whole time. That it is based on the gospel and motivated by the gospel and motivated by our Savior who would come to earth to live and to die for us. Jesus, we give you glory. You are the name that is above every name. We pray, Lord, that we would help each other keep pointing one another to you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I pray you have a wonderful day and a wonderful weekend.